You're listening to the Physio Matters podcast in association with RehabMyPatient.com. And this is session 82. Welcome back to the Physio Matters podcast. I'm still Jack Chu, and I'm keeping these rules brief at the moment because we've got a chewing it over show, which is weekdays, 12.30 to 1 o'clock every weekday. So therefore, I get a chance to update you on all sorts of news, and we can clip that and, and share it with you. And so it stops these being five minutes long, which uh, some of you have been enjoying, but some of you have been frustrated by, and so we can keep Physio Matters as being a clinical show. So without further ado, I want to thank the guest of our last episode, which has gone really, po- it's been really popular, especially for provoking discussion and debate in and around structuralism. It's an orthopedic surgeon. And so we sort of talked about structure and the relevance and prevalence of it, especially with regards to knee surgery. That was Jonathan Bell. So thanks, Jonathan, for joining us. It's been really popular and we're still getting your feedback. So please keep that coming. Today, I'm going to be talking to Michelle Angus. You might recognize her name from a chat she had with Tom Jessen and Rob Tyre on the back of Therapy Live, where they were talking about serious pathology. She's a consultant physio at Salford Royal Hospital. And so when we talk about back pain, which comes up in the podcast quite a lot, it's often in that context whereby we're talking about screening of serious pathology, et cetera. But rarely do we get stuck into how those patients should be managed, how that might vary depending on the context in which you see them in sort of sport and in an emergency department. Uh, and not get stuck in the weeds of, of, of red flags, of which we've covered at length. And so it was great to go through things with Michelle as to what might be advised, what might be, you know, the use of medication, the advice might be given, uh, what do's and don'ts are, and, and, and things like that. So it was fantastic to, to go through that with her, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. We've got lots of news at the moment. Um, I've got really exciting stuff coming up um to to share with you uh, i won't say too much about it here but do check out chewing it over um if you want to want to find more about that and, and also just keep an eye out on the social media feeds that tends to be the best thing especially if you're interested in attending uh the therapy live events as well as other things we've got going on mskr have a birthday event on the 23rd of october which i'll be announcing shortly and so please do keep an eye out on that. That's going to be about APP and FCP and all things acronyms and talking about some of the opportunities and challenges in, in the very MSKR way as they launch their Thinking in Public series. So uh, do check those out. Again, social media um, and on Eventbrite for Therapy Live Sport, which is the 7th of November, and MSKR's birthday event, which is a free evening webinar event uh, again on the 23rd of October. So thanks a lot. And I'll see you at the other side of this interview with Michelle Angus. Delighted to be here today with Michelle Angus. We're going to be talking about acute low back pain, something that's been long requested. And we've been looking for the perfect person to sort of talk us through this, not in a red flag sense, although, of course, we'll be appropriately visiting that a little bit at the start of the podcast. But this is more to do with when those things have been appropriately not ruled out, but associated to not be as, as important to a case. What is the ideal management? Now, Michelle will introduce herself in a second, but has lots of experience at the front line in various different capacities, but most recently in emergency departments and uh, not lo- not far from me as well in, in North Manchester. So um, welcome to the show, Michelle. Would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, so I'm a consultant physio at Salford Royal. Um, I work in the emergency department. I lead a team of advanced practitioners within the emergency department and acute orthopaedics. Um, but I work 
for the spinal service um, within that that department. So um, see quite a lot of back pains at the minute. Yeah, and 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 imagine lots of back pain. You've been in MSK a long time, so back pain in various different contexts as well. Yeah, absolutely. I've I've um, qualified in '96, so um, unfortunately, I'm one maybe one that is described as a dinosaur. Um, but yeah, I've been around a long time in in sport, private practice, um, MSK outpatients, that type of thing. So um, back pain, as as I'm sure you know, Jack follows follows us all throughout our career. Um, so yeah, lots of patient examples, hopefully. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, I'm not a fan of the dinosaur slur, but when it is used, it's suggested people that aren't adapting quick enough. And I doubt that's you from what I've been reading and, and learning about in preparation for this interview. Um, and so <laughs> acute low back pain. How one of the things that I've heard recently is that there's an accusation that it's sort of overplayed. But how prevalent is it? What is the sort of landscape in an emergency department as to how often it presents there? Not the only place, of course, it presents, but let's just get an example of how that is a good perception of what someone perceiving it to be a social emergency. Yeah, I think um, there's, there's, we're possibly not the same as a normal district general hospital because we're a tertiary spinal referral center. Um, So there's a lot out there in social media and things like that to, to come to us because you'll see, a spinal surgeon um which obviously when you attend the emergency department you don't see a spinal surgeon no. chances are you'll, you'll see a, a junior ed doc or, or me or one of one of our team um but we see between 10 and 15 back pain presentations per day um so a lot a lot of patients now that that could could vary so that's goes off comes off the hospital coding so that might not necessarily be an msk back pain um it could be something that's something else that's caused the back pain a, a, you know a, an aortic aneurysm or a, but if they've been logged in by the receptionist as a back pain um that's what it's coded as so we don't know our exact numbers of msk back pain but we know that we we see a fair few um patients who come in back pain and and, and struggling and that's why they come to ed and often as a patient, it's MSK back pain until proven otherwise in many ways because of the social knowledge of back pain. And, and it's rarely known to be something that could be more serious and medical. It's one of the things that people bugger along with for longer than they should do for those for those reasons. So it's actually probably appropriate to use the stats by coding. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, that's the when I first started in ED that I remember um, Pete Driscoll, who was the consultant at the time, who's retired now. And, and he said to me, what you need to do, Michelle, is flip your mindset. But as a physio, everything's the um, lowest common denominator until proven otherwise. In ED, it's the worst case scenario and you start there and work backwards. And, um, uh, you know, he told me that probably 15 years ago. And I've, I've worked with that mantra since then, really. Absolutely. And that that is a really valuable thing, for, I think, for it's one of the reasons why I think some advanced principle, advanced practice principles, as they're sometimes thought of in physio, should be taught even at undergraduate, because that systems thinking mindset of where you are, you know, MS, the, the sigh of relief, even for what might be a serious and very painful MSK condition. But A&E docs that have, that, have, that have taught me over years in various different capacities have said that you, you're constantly ruling things out and then you, you're relieved. Uh, when to find that it might be still very painful, you know, and this is the presentation still as was, but you've ruled out various other systems and stuff. So now what sort of time do you feel you have on average with someone that's presenting on an, if you're the first point of contact? Um, it varies completely what they what they're coming with, really. So from uh, obviously, I think you'd be living under a rock if you don't know the pressures ED are under at the minute. Um, but but the, there's no 
I wouldn't pick up my next patient until I'm ready to pick up the next patient. Yeah. Um, so, you know, although I will feel the pressure of the department. So if it's if it's busy, then then absolutely I feel that pressure and I, I want to try and speed up. But if I need to spend time with somebody, I'm quite lucky in that my consultants will absolutely not move me on until I'm ready to, you know, because I, I manage my own caseload. That said, I can see 20, 25 patients in a session, um, not all back pains, you know, some simple finger stuff and uh, other more exciting stuff, really. I, I think having going down the spinal route, I get excited when somebody comes in with a finger chopped off. But um, yeah, it's it, it, you, you, you've got as long as you need. And that's the luxury, really. Um, we do have tar- tar- um, standards and targets and people should be seen and sorted within four hours within the emergency department. Um, but if, if I've got somebody who I want to do bloods on, do something with, and then review them in four or five hours, that I can admit them to, to have that done and then they, they can still be my responsibility. So um, I'm we're very fortunate in the, the system that we've got. And I appreciate that people out there in practices, in clinics, are, are far less fortunate than I am um, in, in those environments. What's the, what's the spinal equivalent of someone coming in then with... Uh, I, I want to talk about typical presentation in a sense, right? So, yeah. and, I'm, and again, we're, we're now past the red flags, but we don't know this yet. But what, what, are, their, what are their behaviours, their functions? What is it that typically brings someone uh, with acute back pain? And, and in this instance, we don't just have to talk about ED, but let's just talk about the, the classic behaviours of a, a, an acute low back pain patient. So I think you've, it varies from sort of one extreme to the other. So you, you, you've got your person who has been in the gym, possibly overdone it or possibly done something and felt a pull and um like muscular type symptoms and you, you, you've got that end of the spectrum and they they do come to ed because i think there's a a perception that because it because it's your spine it's it's different to a sprained ankle it, it's a bit more serious and a bit more worrying um so you sort of got that end of the spectrum to to the other end of your patients with absolutely acute rock solid complete shift probably discogenic, raging leg pain um, that, that are, are, are presenting, who may ring an ambulance to get there and need entinox or IV morphine in the ambulance. Um, and again, that could be at the gym the same, um, but you've got your sort of two extremes and, and everything in between that, that we get, really. Is it more often that there's been an incident or a, a moment in which it's been not necessarily always sudden immediate onset but there's actually something that's an attributable movement or incident rather than it being something that's been more insidious or emergent um i think the insidious ones possibly don't come to ed as much um we see them in in physio absolutely you know seen lots and lots of them in physio in in other areas um but i think I don't know if it's just that the patients are in agony and, and are trying to attribute it to something, and that something may not be where it started. But I, I think the acute ones, I'm not talking the chronics, the, the acute ones that come to ED have usually, they, they attribute it to something, some sort of activity or, or something that has happened. Um, or they've woke up with it, you get that, but there's a change and they don't. Yeah. So it's not a gradual, this has got worse over the last few months. You get some of those. Um, but generally, it's a, this has changed. So I've come to the emergency department because things are different. Yeah. And obviously, when I'm, I'm thinking about the insidious, I'm sort of even meaning just a few days rather than months. But it's interesting yeah. because I think that the way in which people perceive and attribute to an incident and therefore it's almost 
totally understandable instinct to then like Joe Bloggs is a structuralist and I can't blame them for it. Not just because of the way in which we understand we've we've come to understand the body until relatively recently in time, but also just in a sense of in a sense of perception when we become injured. It's just something that the locality and thinking, what is it? What else is there in, in a basic anatomical sense? It's totally instinctive. Uh, as someone that unfortunately has experienced more pain than other liked um, in various different body parts. But in this in in this instance, what is the typical sort of way? Are they are they are they often? I suppose I want to try and see if I can get some statistics in a way from you. There's lay statistics, the percentages, in a sense that are they typically your patients crawling in, hobbling in, in a, on a stretcher, or are there is there a large amount that are coming in that that to look at you'd be you'd be thinking they'd be all right, but they're describing symptoms of a, of a high intensity of, of, of course, which is, you know, completely reasonable, unbelievable. I'm just meaning like, what's the, what's their behavior or their function? Again, it varies. So, so you will probably get one or two a day that a, an ambulance come in and, and, and on a stretcher and, and do you know what, Jack, you get them that, that come in on their entonox, they've had IV morphine by the crew, they come in, they get pat slided across to a trolley um, and the nurses are, you know, putting them in a gown and it's absolutely struggling and then I, I go in and they say, oh, I need a wee. Can you walk there? Oh, yeah, probably. Um, so the, you, you get that and it's 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 fascinating really the 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 psyche um that what what patients think about these kind of things and um i think there's a there's an a and e mindset um that's very different to a physio mindset in that you know they get put on a trolley they get put in a gown they get whereas actually if they need if i can do my neurological examination in standing against gravity I might well check my motor function in standing against gravity um, because it's functional and, and I can, you know, if, if, I can check that in a, in a better position. And some of them can't lie down. So some of them, some of the muscle spasms, um, absolutely getting on and off the bed is a problem for them. Um, sitting with a neuropathic pain is often a problem for them. So they may well have come in. Some of them put the chair, you know, the, in the car, they've put the, the passenger chair completely flat to allow their partner to bring them in um, and they can walk and they say, I feel a fraud because I can walk round, but I can't sit down. And it's, and, and you can't have to sit, sort of explain as to, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so you get those ones who are like, I'm really sorry. I do feel like a bit of a fraud being here. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm I, I can't do this and I can't cope not being able to sit down. Absolutely. Now in what, what I think is, I'm always torn over because it does seem really individually specific and the context is super relevant and we know the complex biopsychosocial phenomena that, that surround every every individual case. But the, how much do you feel that the patient sometimes, especially once they've once they've, they've pulled that trigger, say they've called an ambulance or someone's called an ambulance for them, and, and how much do you think that the patient is sometimes complying within a system of emergency so they then become passive to it until you then say, if you need a week could you go you might be the first person that's inferred that they should do anything active or how much do you think it is that actually um that situation uh, has only complied with their needs do you know because there's a massive difference between the system yeah. complying to them and them complying with the system do you have an opinion on that yeah it's a bit like your pj paralysis stuff isn't it mm. um once they're in hospital they put the jammers on and they don't ever get dressed anymore and it's it's just absolute nonsense isn't it um you know if somebody can function maintain their function wherever possible um we do we tend to anybody who's got a, a hint of anything um 
leg, neuropathic, um, anything like that. We, we do a lot of bladder scans. So we, we bladder scan most of our back pains that have got a hint. And, and you know, you've only need a little bit of muscle spasm for the pelvic floor to spasm and for you to have some bladder dysfunction. Absolutely you do. So, so we, we do a lot of bladder scanning to make sure that these patients can void properly. Um, so I will always try and get them to a toilet to do that rather than lay on the bed. And you, you can come into, you know, a nurse will automatically that this sounds some nurses will automatically just give them a bottle um, and, and I don't, I'm not a man, but I, I wouldn't be able to wee on a bedpan. I know that for sure. And I don't know how hard it is weeing in a bottle, but um, on your back, but I'm, I'm sure it's not an easy thing to do. Um, yeah, well, you've, so, yes, you've I think immediately got the, the sort of dignity compromise straight out the gates. You know, you, that, that is a, a, yeah. an obvious, you know, the body function, bodily functions thing complies you with a sort of medicalization really quickly. And I think it's sort of relevant that, as I said, you might have been the first person to even infer that they might be safe to do something actively. Um, but <laughs> the what you and I, I think, have got some instincts of a similar flavor there with regards to it being sometimes a bit on the coddling side, which is which is going to be deleterious to function. Sometimes people get, I think, it's the instinct of compassion that's, a, that's got them there. Are you and I, in this instance, sounding cold and that actually sometimes that can get we can we can uh be accused not just on this show and i don't know you have not, we've not worked together of course and maybe maybe I, I don't want to tie you with my brush here but i'm just thinking that sometimes that that uh that perception is that people are they're doing that as a means of being compassionate and sometimes done poorly asserting some level of functional assessment even or inferring that and, and their eyes pop out of their head when you suggest that they roll onto their side because they just think what are you some sort of savage i mean agony you, know, you should you should be carrying me there is it you know, what's your sort of take on that and how do we make sure we come across as not cold-hearted i, I think yeah you're dead right after we do come across as cold um <laughs> and, and it, it's not just your backs when when it's like when a, when you're in physio and a junior asks you to go and assess this patient's knee um and because it won't move and it's like you've just not moved it it's you know it actually they've got full range of movement you've just not took it through the full range of movement and um yeah absolutely and, and I, I i do tend to uh, quite early in my consultation talk to the patient and say look i'm not going to get you pain free i put that on the table quite early doors um because i, w- I want their expectations of that journey to be true and I, I don't want them thinking that they are going to skip out of that department absolutely pain-free because it's it's I know that's not going to happen, um, no matter what they've been given pre-coming in. Um, so I do like to explain why I'm doing things, but also explain to the patient that the pathway that they may well go down. And, you know, the, these often patients are in pain for a little while, um, but it, it's not going to do any harm. And it's that hurt equals harm thing that we we come back to. And I appreciate this is painful, but you've been, you know, you've been an ambulance, you've been on a trolley, you've potentially been lay on the floor for hours at home because something happened and you couldn't get up. Um, So you've now not moved for eight hours. It's going to bloody hurt when you try and move. No matter what I do, it is going to hurt. And it's it's explains to them, I understand it's going to hurt, but I I absolutely I'm not it's not going to make your pathology any worse. It's not going to make your journey any worse. Um, But what will make it worse is lying flat for weeks on end. We know that we know that, you know, the longer you stay still for the harder it's going to be to move. 
Um, so although you you might think I'm cold and you might think that that I'm I'm not doing the right thing, I'm doing this in your best interest because the longer we leave it, the harder it's going to be. When it comes to managing those expectations and trying to get people, because you know I think you're right, the sooner you can get that in, the better. Especially once you're in a situation where you're feeling confident that you're not going to be describing at least a, a medical pathology or a process. Yeah. You were going through this uh, as being having having appropriately ruled out for want of a better term, or we're not prioritising a, a red flag pathology or other more specific medical pathology. The I agree, of course, with what you've said, but it's just that how do we manage the expectation appropriately so that then we're not the people that, you know, uh, when when it when it is uncovered that there's no that it doesn't move in the direction that we'd like it to. How do you cover your tracks in an appropriate way where you're assuring them that the likelihood is that this is something, this is the the direction of travel that we're expecting, that we're not the people that say, well, Lady and A and E said. Uh, I'd be fine by now, and and this is what she's missed, you know. This and this is uh, which, which of course we've we've all been there because it's not an exact science. But there are. Do you have any styles of language or, or or top tips where we can make sure that we? I'm not meaning covering our tracks legally. I'm just meaning with the patient so that they understand that part of the expectation is that it's not a guarantee that what we're describing will be the trajectory. Um. Yeah, I think you're dead right. And I think I, I do always say sort of to the team when when because um I basically have sort of an on-call phone as well for, for ED clinicians for, for our team, but for also um the cat service and other people. And 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 I do always say to people, look, you're never gonna get questioned for that patient. You do a scan and they have nothing wrong with them, but the first one you don't scan, you're gonna get quite a lot of questions about if if there is something wrong with them. So um, I appreciate we've got a duty to to of our imaging and how much imaging we're using and doing that appropriately and I get all that. Um, but in ED, we're, we're dead lucky. I've got access to bloods, X-ray, CT, MR, a, a senior decision maker, consultant spinal surgeon. Do you know, I, I've got all the help that I could possibly need, and I, I appreciate that in a physio clinic or an FCP clinic, you don't have any of that, and you've got to make a decision yourself. Um, but I do think that that. If I'm worried, I will do something to rule out what I'm worried about. Um, and that might not be today. So I might well say, okay, I think that you potentially have got X, be that, you know, um, I guess uh, probably, you know, a, a, a nerve root problem. So you've got three out of five motor function. Um, that might well need decompressing at some point. Um, and it varies from surgeon to surgeon. So some of our surgeons will do that straight away three out of five or less they will absolutely act on very very quickly as a sort of one step down from quadriquina some of them want to leave it six weeks see if it reabsorbs and gets better so you know a, a bit like, when i think back now <laughs> well yeah yeah so, so and that varies depending on who's on call but i my duty is to image that patient and get them to that that's whoever's making that call that's never going to be my call to make how quickly they operate but I don't want to delay that patient's pathway at all by not acting on the, the symptoms that they've got. Would you That's use thing. things... Sorry, Sorry I, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt there. Did, would you... Because there's a, there's, a, there's a pro and a con to saying to them, this is the, this is the plan, this is the trajectory that I'm expecting. If it doesn't yeah. turn a corner or it's not moving in the right direction or we're not a certain amount better by this point, then that's when I think a scan will be indicated. And that... If you're as particular as that, because I, I sort of, I used to be that, that, I used to do that, 
And then I just took a bit of an edge off that and wasn't as particular over time frame or buy your next appointment or because sometimes it just means that they aspire to, you know, if, they, if they're in a situation of which they're interested in that investigation, it's actually moving in the right direction. But they think I'd, I'd feel more reassured by that. I'd almost want to preempt that conversation. I feel like I hope I've been there before and justified imaging or not at that point. But I stopped putting a particular time frame on it because it felt like they were then obliging the answer to get an outcome that they needed or felt that they needed or wanted. So I took, I took that off. But then I've, I've been accused since doing that sometimes of them being a bit too, that then becomes almost too open-ended or too vague. What's your sort of position on that? I rarely say that um, if you've not met this, you will need imaging because uh, I can't very well get annoyed with people saying go to A&E because they need to do a scan to rule out quadruplina. For me then to send people to an interface service to say you must scan this person, that would be hypocritical of me. So I, I rarely say you will need imaging if this hasn't happened. Um, but what I do say is if things are not improving in the next sort of one to two weeks, I would expect with you taking appropriate analgesia, keeping moving, keeping walking, um, not taking yourself to bed, I'd expect things to at least start to improve. Um, we're quite lucky. Most areas around Greater Manchester now have self-referral to physio. And I go down that route, really. I'm, you know, if things are not improving, you need to get yourself into the physio system. And that's where you'll then get your next assessment and um, and plan as to where you're going um if it's if it's our physios if they're worried they'll ring me and i can go and see the patient if they're um most places again can escalate to the interface services if from physio and and get imaging that way if they need to um but yeah i think it'd be hypocritical of me to say this service should be scanning you at six weeks if you're not better and then moan about people sending patients to a and yeah no it's but, but it's almost that that all of our guidance there and our ethics and morals are all based on a system, not a utopian one, but something that we hope is going to then be compliant with sort of sensible decision making. And that so, as soon as it goes outside of your room, your department, your hospital, etc., it starts to feel more ambitious, ambitious because of the variety of care that we know gets delivered. But I won't bang that drum. It's one of my favorite drums, but I won't go there now. Muscle tone. I want to sort of talk a bit about that in terms of muscle spasm, et cetera, uh, for a few yeah. different reasons. But I definitely want to detach it where possible, not completely from ED, but kind of that these presentations be that um, in a sporting context, in a uh, FCP, primary care, private practice. There's, there's, that is often a, it can be a symptom of a protective tone around a uh, complex and sometimes even fairly unstable fracture. Let's even yeah. say outside in neurology now. So it's not stable enough for it to be given as those clues on a, on a large spondy or yeah. something. But I'm just yeah. meaning that it can, we know it can be that. But we also yeah. know that that can be one of the biggest masquerades uh, that exists, yeah. whereby this is a sprain, a strain or whatever we want to call it. Uh, and it's actually not as serious as it's behaving or perceived. How are you uh, teasing that? out and and uh and what's your how often i suppose it, do you feel it is something that's uh, representative of seriousness and, and a sensible defensive mechanism of the body and how often is it misleading i think it um it, i guess it depends on the context and depends on the patient and it depends on what what's happened as to how you're going to sort of image that patient so um i, I mean i guess for example that i within sort of sport i remember one of my athletes um in hyperextension injury young girl tall girl um absolute agony muscle spasm really really struggling um and we imaged her straight away because you know if she had a pars fracture that's going to change 
what we do um I remember distinctly because she absolutely couldn't we couldn't I couldn't even really get a walk in with all my tools and tricks and everything I I was really struggling and and um she all she had was some some information in a facet joint that that was it but the hyperextension had, had for whatever reason caused the facet to react and and she had a, an effusion within her facet joint and and um, I'm not saying that every patient needs interventional things doing. Absolutely, that's not my take. But 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 equally, wanted to get her back playing. Um, we were in the holding camp for the Olympics at the time, and and so she had an injection into that facet joint, much like you would an inflamed knee, and you know got back on the playing within within a couple of days. Um, her muscle spasm was then the limitation that that we could I could as a physio get rid of that then to get her going and get her moving. Um, but there was an underlying pathology that caused that um I, I do think that this it's really hard isn't it because mechanical back pain is absolutely what's drilled into us um and i think it's wrong to to give the patients a di- sometimes it is wrong to give a diagnosis of you've got this you've got this um but i do think that unless you've done a specific action in a gym there's usually something that's caused those muscles to go into spasm muscles don't really spasm for no reason to be without something underlying that's that's caused that or, or some kind of um action that's caused that i could be wrong but I do, I do think most of them have got something going on no well that's one of the reasons i want to i want to get your your take really as to yeah that 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 complexity of causation i agree in that when you've got something like uh the extension example is such a great one, especially because the context around that athlete, meaning that they are just, that, that's one of your primary ration, your rationale for why that might well be a, a spondy and potentially a high grade spondy in something that the consequences, not just immediate, but also down the line for that athlete is huge. You've also got these, so I'd say Joe blogs, let's make Joe blogs a builder and he's picking yeah. up, a, he's picking up a, a bag of cement uh, in a flex, slightly rotated position. It's not high load for him, carries five of these uh, at once often, but it's something that he's just made that sort of classic lift, lift with twist. And he's then, he's then got, again, we're not, we're not giving him any leg symptoms now, but he's got then this, this muscle spasm. So it's something that there's, there's an incident preceding it, yeah. um, but there's not a high-grade incident that would be indicative of more serious pathology such as the athlete that you described they're then presenting and let's open up the context of which they're presenting beyond just ed but they're presenting yeah. to uh, private practice they're presenting to fcp they might let's let's imagine there's a, a triage service uh, often in many clinics especially in around the manchester region increasingly um following you know your services and and, and uh, east lanks are doing a great job uh, in, even in collecting data in this direction they're presenting to something like that lots of muscle spasm no leg symptoms again what um that's sort of in in this in between where there is an incident you can make an argument that there could be some sort of relevant tissue characteristics that are then being protected discogenic or otherwise but are we um how how are we going about managing that patient i think if you're in a a clinic then and and you've got no you know indication to to image that patient no matter what's the underlying pathology is your treatment is going to be the same, isn't it? Getting them, getting them going, getting them moving. We've had them because it, as soon as you get a hint of bladder dysfunction, they come to us in ED. They they end up with us and, and they get a scan. You know that's that's the the bottom line. Is it, it, 
for whatever reason. And and w- the pelvic floor is part of that cylinder, isn't it? That goes into spasm. Are you meaning a bladder scan there? Are you meaning they're getting an MR? No, so so an MR, a lot of people get an MR. So, you know, if you can't enter your bladder, chances are most people are gonna gonna scan you. Um, but the black the pelvic floor is part of that cylinder, isn't it, with your muscle spasm. So you've got mm. spasm of your erector spiny, you're gonna have some pelvic floor dysfunction quite likely. Um, and a bit like your example, I remember a weightlifter um had been no heavier weight than normal um back went but that's a classic patient term don't know where it's gone but it's gone um and get pelvic floors not you know got spasm so much so the pelvic floors in spasm so ends up getting an mr scan and on those kind of patients often what we see is a little annular tear so you know we're we're imaging them that imaging is not going to change the management of that patient by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but often there's there's some there's a little tear in the disc. It's not not there's no bulge. There's no but what you can see is the outer fibres. There's a, there's a little tear, and that's caused all the secondary symptoms. Now in a clinic, that scan isn't going to change what you do. So you know if I scan somebody and they've got a little annular tear, I'm not still going to do exactly the same treatment i'm going to get them moving i'm going to advise them you know this should get better this is what we need to do to try and get it better i'm going to give them pain relief if they need loads of pain relief i'll give them loads of pain relief because i want them to move um but it's it's not going to change so i think if you see them in clinic you don't need to image these people unless there is obviously you're worried about something more serious um what you need to do is, is use your basic stuff to to get them going get them moving um, and try and facilitate that normal function i think early on Normal function is the most important thing um, and educating them as to why that's really important. Um, that there is a, I worry about chronicity with these patients and I worry that, that if they don't get that advice or they go away and go to bed and um, that, then they're the ones that are going to be the revolving door patients. Um, and yeah. I just hope that if we get it right, we can stop that with these people. Just in and around the weightlift that's then had this this spasm and i called it a builder we're talking about it's a fairly stereotypical case and the, and the spasm in this instance you're saying that if they happen to have had a scan not necessarily for their symptoms but because they seem to have had some bladder retention that we now know is sort of neuromuscular they've had this scan and you feel that there's a potentially uh you were describing potentially causal annular tear that predisposes the muscle tension i want to know as to if you are let's say they've not had a scan and put yourself maybe in a different context to ED for a second. What's your lingo there? Are you allowing them to associate that muscle spasm to a protection of a tissue-based pathology, or are you not mentioning it? And that's without them having a scan first. I think I tend to, my te- general spiel is that there's there's a lot of structures around the spine. There's there's the disc, there's the the joints, there's muscles, there's ligaments, there's there's a lot of structures. And, and I am uh, not always going to know exactly which structure at this point when you've got, you're in agony and you can't move is, is necessarily at fault. But what I do know is that none of those structures are going to be harmed by you moving um and, and it's it's about that sort of perception so i i i am quite vague with them about what what could be going on um if they dig and they want more information then i'll i'll get the model out and i'll show them all the structures and that type of thing um but but generally speaking i i am as much as i'm not a fan of mechanical back pain um i, I am quite vague with them as to the actual putting my finger on that 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 point um at that at that point really um but what i do know 
is that there is nothing that I'm going to cause more harm by by getting you going and getting you moving. Um, I talk about the the fire. Um, we've talked about car alarms, haven't we? But the the, the fire, you know, you, you you touch a fire, it's hot, so you pull your hand away, um, and you, that's what your muscles are doing. They 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 the fire was hot, and and so they've reacted. They've done that spasm reaction, and and actually now we, we need to switch them off a little bit to get to the bottom of of why the fire was hot. So then the the other side of it was that they've had a scan. Let's say there's you know, a couple of reasons they could have had it. One is the, the justified reason that you gave with regards to the bladder, but there's also the opportunity through particularly the context where they've then had a scan that probably wasn't indicated clinically, but we know that it's, it's an imperfect world as we talked about earlier. So they've had a scan and you have noticed, and, and I know this isn't changing the, mecha- the, the, the treatment and the care that you're going to deliver, but I'm just interested in that patient advice piece because now you've actually got something that, instead of speculating, saying here's a number of structures, it could be a number of structures, because I, you know, I recognize that mantra uh, to my yeah. own, and, and also I think it's a sensible one. number of structures that could be uh, contributing to these symptoms. However, they're not relevant. The tissue isn't relevant to the symptom protection. The spasm yeah. isn't, isn't there. It's not something that's going to do any further damage. Got you. However, once you know differently, right, and you've got this scan and, say, a report that might indicate a tissue injury that we're suggesting might be contributing or even causal to the muscle spasm. Are you then going into, are you then going to risk giving that detail like you would an ankle where you're saying, well, we've got some, some fibers of your uh, ligament that, that, that have been ruptured. However, it's not something that's going to need, you know, it's going to heal well, you're otherwise healthy, that sort of thing. Are you doing that at the spine or are you trying to almost keep that information from the patient? Um, yeah, I do. I, uh, uh... It's difficult, isn't it? Because the the the, the National Back Pain Pathway talks about imaging being harmful and, and you're causing harm by doing an MR scan. I, I don't think the MR scan is causing harm. What's causing harm is the people not understanding the report that are telling the patient, um, you know, you've got whatever degenerative changes or uh, and frightening the patient or giving them a copy of a report that that has got lots of long words in modic changes and uh, that, that the patient goes and Googles and, and absolutely panics. Um, so, so I don't think the MR scan was harmful, but I think that that how you then explain that. So, yeah, I if there's something on the scan, I explain it, but I explain it hopefully in, in, an, in an appropriate way. I never, ever copy and paste a scan report into a patient's um, discharge details or, or letter. or and, and you see that a lot, that patients will just have a copy of a scan report that they don't understand. Yeah, um, and they've been putting it to Google, haven't they, line by line. Yeah, and I, I pick the relevant bits to them and absolutely write it down for them, but in a way that's sort of understandable. So, yeah, if there's an annular tear, I'll tell them that um, because that's what's in their scan. They've, they've got a right to know what it's what it's shown. Oh, yeah. um, but, he, but it's with that caveat that, look, you know, this doesn't mean you're going to have chronic back pain. This doesn't mean that it's going to cause you long-term problems. Um, this is what we're going to do about it. We're going to set you on this pathway uh, and this is how we're going to make a difference. So, um, yes, I would tell them. I would tell them if they've got degenerate changes. Absolutely, I would. But then I'll use the grey hair and wrinkles line. And, you know, it's... Yeah. it's you put it into it, an age-related context as well. Yeah. What's, um, what I wonder about with that, especially because, yeah, you, it's their scan. It's their report. They're often wielding it. Therefore, to not, not talk about it, not tell them is remiss. But then, you know, despite best efforts, you know, 
the mate that he goes to the gym with when he was doubled over or my mate's building colleague as these examples that we've been using. So how's your back getting on? What went on there? Well, it's feeling a lot better, but I tore my disc. Their association to it is still going to be strong in that instance, isn't it? And if they hadn't have had that imaging, in this instance, we're describing imaging that we're both recognising shouldn't have really been done. Yeah. It's just that, that I do understand um, that if it wasn't, if it wasn't so unethical to keep things from patients, I can understand as to why people would try and, um, you know, move away from that just so that there isn't that association to that being the problem. And therefore 10 years on, Oh yeah. Tell well, 10, you know, I've had a bit of a dodgy back since I tore my disc. Yeah. And that association, that strong association just seems to be more prevalent at the spine than it does at the, you know, you sprained your ankle it's very rare, although people might remember the first time they sprained their ankle as, a, as a, a kid or whatever, they rarely would say, since I tore the ligaments in my ankle there, that's why I've had a bad ankle, unless they have obviously yeah. chronic ankle instability. But I'm just meaning that there is this perception with the spine that we could probably do with erring on the side of non-tissue centric diagnoses. Um, but it's a, fine, it's a fine balance. I totally, totally accept. It is. I think there is. But equally, you, you get patients who haven't had a scan who tell you about a disc they slipped six months, you know, six years ago. Or, yeah. you know, so that, that's that's a patient sort of perception. So I don't point. think it's changes it particularly. Um, yeah. I still hear surgeons talking about slipped discs. You know, it's... Yeah, it's absolutely. Well, it went, didn't it? So uh, that's uh, yeah. sort of like a hockey puck being squeezed out or something. <laughs> As I hopefully baited well there, we're now into a real classic and typical presentation of which the advice and management is fairly general. Now, there are some specifics that you would then describe with them, you know, based on what they've told you about what their hobbies, interests, family circumstances, whether they live up, you know, up the bungalow or not, top flight of a block of flats without a lift. These things matter. And I'm not inferring that we wouldn't have some specificity of advice around that. But there is also this general package, the leaflet materials of bullet points that we would then dish out. Let's go through those then. In terms of how much to move, what's your typical advice on that? I'd say little and often. So um, the I don't know if your listeners probably know about the, the National Back Pain Pathway and the work that Dermot Ferguson did up in the northeast um, with, with quite a lot of his videos were really, really good. I did speak to him yesterday, actually, and say, where have they gone? We need them back on. Um, and, and the CSP stuff's really, really good. Adam Dobson's doing quite a lot of good work on patient information leaflets and, and early advice. But um, absolutely, it's it's patient specific and it's little and often um you know you you wouldn't want them going out walking for 10 hours up a massive mountain but but equally they need to know that it's safe to move um and it's those messages of of the more you you do do normal functional things the better um in, I think, yeah, one, one of my colleagues got, um, she had a back problem. I can't remember if she had radicular pain or not. Um, worked in orthopedics, so she, she worked in orthopedic fracture clinic. She um, she rang Vicky Dickens, my boss, and said, oh, I can't get out of bed. I'm really struggling. And Vic's like, right, take some drugs, get up, get moving, get out, and, and, and get here tomorrow. She rang the orthopedic surgeon who said, you get to bed, you look after yourself. Don't, don't try, we don't need you here. You just get yourself to bed, get some rest. Um absolutely two completely contradicting a piece of advice and and unfortunately that's what these patients get they they come to us and we we're telling them to get moving it's safe to move it's safe to go but you're not a doctor love my doctor says i've got to stay in bed what do you know 
Um, so yeah, so there's there's it, it's really hard, and I think that's why we as a as a population are still struggling with these yeah. patients because I think it's still quite contradictory. What about medication then? What's your typical spiel there? So um, again, I'm lucky that I've got access to to all sorts of, of different medications, and and I where I used to work when I, I worked in Bolton, we always used to use PR diclofenac um, and IV paracetamol, and that was the that was the, the 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 one that actually worked quite well um we don't tend to use iv paracetamol much in sulfur we, we, they tend to go with morphine unfortunately or fortunately um mm-hmm. I, it, and when i did my prescribing course interestingly it's cheaper um than iv paracetamol so you, you've got a bit of a, a, a you know you've got a duty of care for the nhs and, and money and everything else as well um Jane Ashbrook's just done a, a, a systematic review on this. I don't know if you've seen it. Really quite recent um, at Manchester Met. I've seen it. Um, about it. Um, yeah. So. Soon, oh yeah, yeah. So Jane's brilliant. She's she's doing. Look, she's got quite an interest in acute back pain and, and ED attendances and, and that type of stuff. Um, and her systematic review, the only thing that stood out as making a difference was NSAIDs, um, which is interesting. Um, I think there's a perception with patients that that if you can buy something over the counter, it's probably not very good. And patients want a prescription; they don't want to be told get some paracetamol and brufin. Um, and and but then you've got to you've got to understand that that that's still in the whole health economy. You know that there's not a huge difference that I'm aware of between brufin and naproxen. You know, we, we used to use diclofenac before this, the, the heart stuff came out. There was that big paper that talked about cardiac stuff with the COX-2s. And, and so we stopped mm. using COX-2s at that point. Um, but, but I think, yeah, absolutely. So now, always I would give an NSAID or advise an NSAID. Um, but the root of that, um, we like I say, IM, PR, seems to act quicker. Um yeah. But again, Jane's papers found not a great deal of evidence for the route of administration. Now, I think that's lack of studies as opposed to, you know, put hard evidence against. Um, but in ED, speed of, speed of action would it. matter more to you in your context of work, though, wouldn't it? To say private practice, the mechanism of delivery you were suggesting would be you perceive as being relevant to speed of action. And I was saying that whilst, you know, obviously that's, a, that's something that's good to attain, that would matter more in your context. Yeah. Than might do others because you're wanting to move people along. Do you feel that that's relevant? Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I would send the majority of people home with oral drugs. Um, yeah, I, I rarely give them anything different. But um, what what we want to do, what I want to do is 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 try and take the edge off their pain and show them that actually taking analgesia will help take the edge off their pain. Um now I'm only giving them that to allow them to move. I explain to them that the the analgesia is not the treatment. The treatment is movement. Um, that's and we're never just giving analgesia. A bit like if you in physio, uh, whether you do or don't do manual therapy, whether you do or don't use um, heat or anything like that. You know that that's not the treatment. That's the pain relieving modality to allow the patient to do the treatment that is movement and exercise oh yeah do you get much um pushback you know i don't want to mask the pain i'd rather know what was going on uh, a variety of different things where people perceive that there is some sort of merit in um having some sort of accuracy and, and how do you uncouple that 
Yeah, absolutely. Do, you know, have you taken the pain relief today? No, because I wanted you to see how much pain I was in. So you, 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 you're in agony. You've come to the emergency department, but you don't want to take any paracetamol. Um, obviously, I don't say it like that, but but there's a, a you know there's a there's a, a, a tells you a little bit, doesn't it, about about people that and if they don't want to take it, that is absolutely fine. Um, but what I tend to say to them is, if, if if you don't want to take pain relief, that's your choice. Absolutely, that's your choice. I'm not going to force you to to do that. But it's really important that you don't use pain as the reason you're not moving, um, because it, it it's gonna it's gonna be sore then if you're not taking any pain. How much do you have to then get stuck into the pain not being an accurate representation of, say, damage severity, that sort of stuff? Then at that point, I think in. Um, when I've been in physio, absolutely go into that in, in quite a lot of detail. In ED, you've got to remember that patients retain very little of what you've said. Yeah. Um, so there's quite a bit of work, medical work, work that the docs have done saying that, you know, it can be let, as, much, as little as 2% of, of your consultation is retained by a patient in the emergency department. Um, so although I'll, I'll talk about stuff, I'll, I, I rarely get hugely stuck in unless I've got a patient who's really, really reluctant. Um, but I rarely get hugely stuck in. I, I tend to give them things to go away and, 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 and resources um, because I know that, that they're not going to retain a lot of the stuff that I've said to them. That's relevant, isn't it? It's that if, if you're particular about what you need to do and then also make sure that that's laced with appropriate reassurance, it might not need that next bit, which is why I'm so confidently reassuring you. Whereas in a karma context in which they're at least going to retain, let's say 4% rather than the two uh, in a physio department, um, then perhaps um, that is something that, that the seriousness of the context, et cetera, means that there's a bit more compatible with that justification, especially when that maybe is down the line of, 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 of an ED consultation. It feels like that might be an appropriate way to explain as to, well, it's because this pain isn't representative of the seriousness for these reasons and using analogies and stuff, alarm system analogies are, are my go-to still, admittedly, with regards to sort of sensitivity. Um, yeah. What, um, car alarms going off too often <laughs> absolutely yeah um fire alarms and burnt toast is my favorite one uh that's still <laughs> my go-to car, car alarms in the wind i go for really uh, it's, it's yeah. similar yeah i like that um what i would what i would be interested in is that i often hear uh, a defense and these are by contemporary evidence-informed clinicians in private practice particularly whereby they're rationale is is for, for their behavior of care that happens in that first consultation let's say over a 45 minute pay, cash paid consultation the behavior of it is very similar up to the point in which then you're making the advice as to take you know medication but not as a matter of treatment but as a means of facilitating movement and confidence and they're lacing it with appropriate reassurance they're then giving them the parameters of of, of when to when to come back what to do that sort of stuff um, be that to book them in at a particular interval or give them a sort of loose open appointment, see how you go, whatever it might be. And as I said, this is, this is a, a well-reasoned ethical management. However, when it comes to the pain relief piece, they then would say that given the patient's choice, I've got these other pain, other pain relieving modalities available to me aside from the pharmaceutical ones. This is why I lay hands. And those that are being careful to then again lace that with this is simply a means of just taking a bit of an edge off this muscle tone as a means of facilitating movement and that is a what i consider a decent justification for it even though we probably think that there's some sequel to that where the patient's making an association to the 
the, the care. And I always say no one ever comes into to our practice thanking when you say, how did you get better over? How did your last episode resolve? They never come in saying, tell you what, that paracetamol. Ooh. But they would do that sometimes with yeah. manipulation. And yeah. therefore the inference of what it's done is sometimes more powerful even the words than you've used. So I do err on the side of caution, not typically a manual therapist, but I do understand that logic. I want to know from you, I've seen so much back pain of so many different flavors and contexts, what your take is on that rationale. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd completely agree with you, Jack. I think I, it's, it's really hard, isn't it? All the national guidelines now are, are taking away everything we've got to relieve pain as physios. And, and you know, the, the, the back pain stuff now, they've took all the neuropathics away. They've took, so we're down to, to little and manual therapy i don't maybe some people do believe but but i don't think as physios we ever did it thinking we were getting a bit of l5s1 movement at that level we we were doing it to get a little bit of nociceptive reaction to try and get a little bit of, of pain relief to allow them to function and and i think um you know no matter where everywhere it's that that's what we were trying to do and i think this whole mentality of, of you must never touch a patient or you must always do this. And um, the bottom line is there's, there's, there was a systematic review from Sweden um, re- this year looking at exercise therapy for acute low back pain. And there's pretty little evidence for that. Yeah. Um, so I completely agree that there's, there's, the evidence is poor. But anecdotally, if, if that allows that patient to move, you know, if you Skype in them, giving them some exercises and they're in agony, are they going to do those exercises? But if you actually give them a bit of relief to allow them to do it, if that works better for you, I don't have a problem with that. If it's nested within the reassurance frameworks that we're talking about, then it seems totally fair. What about that latter part that I was saying about sometimes the inference of might not even matter what you've said, but what they're inferring has happened with some manual treatment. Do you see any of that sequelae? Do you get patients that have, because you want, we're talking about acute, we can also talk about recurrent and, and acute oncolic yeah. type stuff. Do you see the patients that are then make an association to whatever it might be in terms of care delivery before, that they're inferring as being curative before and suggesting yeah. that you or someone needs to do that to sort them out? Yeah, absolutely. You do. You, you see that. And, and you know, if if, if it was, uh, yeah, you, you just have to stop yourself from saying, well, if it cured you, what you're doing back. Um, but yeah, absolutely. There's the there is that and the, their perception. But but we know about how important the placebo effect is. And if they feel that that is what they need to get better, um, maybe they're not going to move on until they 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 try that. I, I don't know um I, certainly we don't do that at any treatment in ed particularly other than advice um and, and analgesia but yeah that we do see that quite a lot i think if um because that's where i think one of the stronger arguments for erring on the side of caution would be so it's like not being a nihilist against some modalities but recognizing that sometimes the association attached to them is going to be relevant i would say that when in a, you're describing, and I'd be surprised if it wasn't the case, but in ED, you're giving advice, you're encouraging movement, but not necessarily even couching it and calling it exercise as much as just trying yeah. to get someone back to scaled and relevant function for them, um, yeah. and encouragement, reassurance, analgesia. So let's just say that that's someone saying, 
well, you know, NSAIDs and paracetamol, I'm not, I'm not into that or I'm not, not wanting pharmaceutical interventions, but you're, you're describing something that, that can relieve pain. Typically, manipulation and massage is, is, is of a flavor uh, that, that does suit me. Why wouldn't you be administering that? NED. Because hmm. uh, that's not what we're, we're there to do. That's not the, the job particularly. That's, we, you know, but that's what I'm meaning. Why wouldn't to... it be? I'm being awkward. Devil's advocate. Okay. Of course, I'm not suggesting you should be. I understand why it's not. But under that logic, I think yeah. that, the, you know, it's the, I'm just meaning that why it's not, it's not the job in part because, you know, time, convenience, medication yeah. is the go-to pain relief of the yeah. of the industry isn't it but yeah. should it be uh i don't know the answer to that really maybe maybe yeah maybe maybe not but it, i think what we have um with covid so we we our teams all have practitioners um and with covid that we got some band fives um that the the covid pot was was uh was quite a nice little pot um and so we got some newly qualified band fives who were absolutely fantastic um and they were um doing a little bit with, with patients in ED, like sort of traditional msk physio stuff like so they would see an advanced practitioner uh, and then they they i wouldn't even give an out any exercises the the band fives were doing it for us and actually the patient feedback has been really really good on that um I think, I mean, certainly now that the huge push is to stop people coming to ED and, and we're even at the front door deflecting people to the physio department rather than than the ED department's patients come to reception and, and get told, actually, do you want to come to ED or do you want to go and, and go to physio in, in at this time? And you'll get, you won't have to wait, you'll get seen at this time, you'll get, you know, with, with, with the simple MSK stuff, not necessarily the back pains, but you'd be surprised what what comes to ed um so at the minute that the huge huge push is to prevent the footfall of patients going to ed um mm. it may well even be in the future that you have to ring 111 and get an appointment to go to ed um that they, they may push it that far because we just cannot socially distance in the department yeah, absolutely yeah and, and that's one of the things that's relevant and and I, and I swear it's only out of devil's advocacy that I asked that question but I can conceive no, of a, right. the rationale underneath what we feel that the medications are doing and we're not inferring that they are pharmacologically changing things in a in a, a causal way to the so it's symptom management essentially so it's almost yeah. that in a, in the future you could conceive of that this is this is the advice this is what you need to be doing the treatment is movement well the treatment is return to function without yeah. over associating this pain to be representative of its seriousness and you need to find whatever it is that you can do to make that feel more comfortable and then you typically go through the you know this is where you correct me if i'm wrong but you go through the feel like heat suits you right now then fine because people using heat and ice almost sometimes as an associated curative agent rather than a symptom relief and yeah. so they sometimes think that there's a particular right or wrong there enough and it's you know for me at least you're giving it that more generally and it's up to you and whatever you feel but I almost yeah. can think that there's instead of it being here's your, here's your medication, it'd be here's here's a menu. Um, what yeah. what suits you, especially those that have been round the block a little bit, and you can conceive of a service. It's not a practical one, but it's one that whereby they are choosing uh, their own sort of flavour of uh, pain relief and, and modality. 
Um, and it's the system that stops us doing that. And I argue, you know, many ways, rightly so, especially on the public purse. But I therefore do have some sympathy for my private practice colleagues that that um, that have patients that that have those expectations. And as long as it's appropriately caveated and couched as as we're describing it, then there's there's good reason, and it's still good care, you know. And, and if it stops Absolutely. them presenting to you, then that's a win. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's then the, the thing, isn't it? These patients potentially are not at the right place in ED and perhaps would be better with, with a private practice physio. Absolutely, that might be the, the, the pathway that would have been the best pathway for them, um, whatever, NHS physio, whoever. Um, but yeah, I do agree that, that, that a lot of these patients, and hopefully as we become FCPs, um, we should be able to, to help with that and start, start to give them, I don't know, I guess it depends on what your FCP service involves, but um, I think, yeah, absolutely. We, we, so, I mean, it's not, about right I'm not going to let us time. go there because I know that the no. act of doing any treatment is is the hot button topic on on, on FCP. And, and so I, I agree with you. And I also agree with where you're going with that in that it's sort of a sensible extension to that logic is that the, if you have the skill set to do that, that if you're administering pain relief of, of a medical flavor, then why not others? I totally get it. But however, I accept that that is a, a podcast in itself and I'll, I'll be, yeah. I'll be lynched. We'll be lynched. So instead I'll, I'll move us on to the um, sort of progression as to, as to what you would suggest to someone that trajectory we talked about. So what, what sort of thing are you advising to people uh, as to what thresholds you want them to meet for them to seek further help uh, if they haven't met it or what have you. And we've we've both sounded like we've agreed that we'd be quite broad. We won't be sort of, it won't be arbitrary times, uh, you know, this amount of weeks, this amount or this level of return or whatever. But what's sort of your typical advice for someone as, you, as you're waving them out the door? Um, so I always say that you need to, if things are not improving, uh, the thing is there's a patient perception around this as well. Um, so if if the patient thinks that they should be doing better by a week or two weeks they may well need to seek that reassurance from from whoever that may be so what i don't want is them returning to ed unless obviously things change and they've got serious signs of serious pathology um so I, we like i say i'm dead lucky in that we've got self-referral to physio and, and so that tends to be my get go-to advice if 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 in in the next week or two things are not improving and be that slight improvement or improving as you would like then you need to get yourself referred in and, and, and I give the responsibility back to the patient on that yeah. rather than um, me doing a referral and, and then them sort of moving things on. So I'm quite lucky in that we've, we've got access to that. And most places I think now are moving to that if they don't already sort of have that, that pathway. Where um, does matter there though, don't they, to that logic? So you're giving yeah. out a, a, what, like a business card that then explains as to how the, the self-referral service works. But if they then, yeah. they, they, they're a few weeks in, they're not quite comfortable with the, the way that things are going. They then pull the trigger on the self-referral and then get given a appointment in six Sweet weeks life. or they yeah. don't hear anything. Yeah. And they're, and they're off work and all the other things, you know, you'd hope that that yeah. would expedite it if they had some sort of triage system, but that matters to the advice almost, doesn't it? Your knowledge of local yeah. systems and pathways and even yeah. live waiting lists, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if things are, 
yeah absolutely that's that's a huge thing i i think the the um the work thing's important as well because i every every patient that we as we know from work that was done you know years ago in the 90s that the longer people are off work for the less chance of them than going back and i so we do a discharge summary for every patient that goes to the gp wherever they're from and, and my um advice to the gps always 100% please consider early to return to work as soon as possible and um, even on different duties or because most of mine will self-cert for the first week because that that's that's the pathway um but yeah absolutely I definitely mentioned returning to work with every single patient mm, yeah no it's a really valid point what what sort of um how do you manage the expectation in time frame without giving them sort of um because you want to often give them bucket loads of reassurance because we all know the cases that that are in absolute agony and turn a corner if not that day then in a few days and and just can't yeah. believe that episode now painful it was and they'll tell that war story forever that and, and it almost they're a patient that changed their mind in in perception of, of symptoms and it's rep- how representative seriousness and damage it is but then you also don't want to then assure them oh this will settle down pretty quickly you know don't worry about it for it to not do and then three or four weeks in even though that's still a timeline let's say they're getting better at five percent a week but then about four weeks in it's not moving on as, as well as they'd like and you reassured them of a timeline your prognosis was sort of inaccurate how do you manage that yeah. balance um well I have, to be honest I, the honest truth there is i i don't know because they don't come back to us um we we need to and um one of my team andy mcdonough is is going to look into this our return rate for for back pains because that's something we we get flagged so anybody who returns within 30 days gets flagged and get their case gets reviewed um but our long-term return rates we're we're not sure of and we are going to do some work looking at that because i think you're right that's really important um because actually they come to ed they see a physio on that day and and if they self-refer and they're put on a waiting list for six weeks, that's not what they want, is it? Um, so, yeah, I, I do see your point. And I do think that that's, services need to be reactive to the patient's needs here. Um, and they need a, a reassessment. If they're not, if that patient isn't doing as well as they would want to do or they perceive that they, they feel they should be doing, they need to see someone quickly to get them on the right track. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because we need to join up the understanding, you know, for the fact that you don't have a a sort of answer on reflection of outcomes to that is, is a failure of, of measurement, isn't it? For us not joining systems up enough to be able to track yeah. that and have like a passport of, of care. However, just in terms of um, whilst, you know, you're not able to use the outcomes as part of informing your reasoning, that doesn't mean that you won't be doing something. So how do you personally find yourself managing the prognosis what what is your typical go-to are you therefore super vague and therefore just don't put time frames on things as a matter of principle or is it that you're on the side of caution and still give a time frame what what is sort of expectation management in terms of how long someone's asking you even explicitly what, what am I, how long am i expecting to feel this way I do tend to tell them. So I say most people within the first sort of 48, 72 hours are starting to notice a bit of improvement. Now, that may not be the pathology. That may be the medication that I'm giving you um, that's starting to kick in and and starting to make a difference. And you're taking that appropriately. So it might not mean that that things are changing. Um, If you get out, get moving, get going, I would hope that by two weeks you've gone over that hill and you're you're on your way back down. and and the majority of, of problems settle 
within the first sort of or get to a, a manageable amount within the first six weeks. If if that's not the case, then we need to look at, at this in more detail because what we don't want is for this to be a persistent problem or a long-term problem um, that's impacting on your life, your ability, your um for the patient, that's really important, but also for the for the um socioeconomic sort of side of back pain. We know that back pain is the biggest burden of disability in, in, in the environment. If we want to try and prevent that chronicity. So um I, I those are the time scales that I tie. You keep you've asked me this question about four times, so I've had to give you the times rather than be vague. Um but yeah those are the time scales I tend to use with with people. Um but absolutely I, I don't ever say you'll need imaging if this happens um unless it's it red flag stuff. Um and I, I don't ever say you know you're gonna be pain free by three months. I, w- I wouldn't put that on them, but I'd say this is the trajectory I'd expect you to follow. If you're not following that, then we need to, you need to get help and, and that help needs to, I need to tell you how to access that help. Right, brilliant. Well, that was as gentle as I could ask the same question a few times. I thought, yeah, I'm glad, exactly. I'm glad I baited it out to you. But um, what I want to uh, finish with, um, Michelle, so thank you so much uh, as ever for your time. Um, but I, I just wondered when it comes to, um, the presentation context what do you feel is because when it's an ed it's different but when someone has an episode of, of back pain there was some contention especially from the private practice community when we published the myth busting guidance as part of a csp working group which became posters which you mentioned earlier the thing that got contended was that we'd put in there about not um <clears throat> that, that present you know don't don't you don't need to seek help for physio i think it said for two weeks something like that yeah. and we're trying to offer that as reassurance as being as if you know don't need to whereas you know the, we heard from more private practice colleagues than i expected especially i'm sat here in a in my own private practice of course <laughs> but i didn't expect the pushback that we got and also wishes for revision because a lot of those businesses, it sounds like, were built on people coming in within within minutes. Were we were we too long on that time frame, or do you feel that that is an appropriate angle? I don't know. I think um, patients. It, it depends what that patient's going to do. So if that patient is going to lie in bed for those two weeks and not move, perhaps they do need to see someone who can give them the correct advice early on. If that patient's going to try and get moving in those two weeks, then, you know, great. Absolutely. It might get better. Um, so, so I guess it depends on, on your patient. And, and, you know, if that patient's going to turn to A&E, maybe A&E isn't the right place for them. Maybe a private practice physio is the right person to see them um, who can give the right advice at the right time. So um, I don't disagree, but I think there's there's a lot of patient factors in there, isn't there? I think it was as it was too blunt an instrument, really, on reflection. That poster, because we see some patients same day uh, that we feel like what a valuable intervention that was, because they were about to yeah. take themselves to bed, and then they now yeah, haven't, exactly. and they were back to work the next day, uh, next day, next week, maybe, depending on the severity. But um, there are other instances where we certainly see people too soon because they just can and they, they access it, and maybe a previous yeah. patient or whatever that, that that perceives that that's something that they want that they probably didn't need. So it's a fine line, and, and therefore we probably could and should err on the side of caution if they ever get tidied up to make sure there's appropriate caveats. I think it was sort of saying that, you know, if, if things are yeah. going okay, you don't need to seek yeah. attention. Yeah. Whereas if they're going to be, take themselves to bed, be off work and not comply with yeah. the other myth-busting posters, let's say, 
then uh, yeah. then that's fair. Then the need, but also if if they you know to, if that patient is worried about red flags, if they want to, yeah. if they want you to tell them that there's nothing worrying, why aren't you the right person to do that? You're probably a better place to do that than a GP or or whoever else. So. I think it's patient dependent and, and, you know, the posters are great. We have the posters up in ED and the waiting room and everything. Right, yeah. Um, so Please, yeah, yeah, I think the posters Lovely. are great. That's great. I think, um, that's where I think an interface for virtual as well. That's where we could really mature our models in light of having had to go more virtual is that that's a place where it could be really strong is that if there are drop-ins like that, where people can, if they're about to make some poor decisions for how they behave for the yeah. next couple of weeks, something like that could really disrupt it. Whereas we know that a 45-minute initial assessment at whatever price at a private practice yeah. might well be overkill. And so, so having something would be a smart move. So, yeah, so it's definitely a moving picture. Thanks so much for your time. Where can people find out no more about you and get in touch with you if they need to? Um, so I'm on Twitter, at Mish Angus, and, um, uh, yeah, I'm at Salford Royal now. Nothing nothing else exciting going no, on. Fair enough. Well, thanks, thanks um, I, so much. I, I think... The, I probably need to mention the National Back Pain Pathway um, Clinical Network, which is um, Dermot Ferguson's the chair, but I'm the comms lead for that. So there's that you can get in touch through there, and also the Advanced Practice Physio Network for the CSP and the Education Officer for that. So again, um, you could contact me through there. Absolutely, and, and a brilliant. Sorry, Jack, um, I, I want to congratulate you on the uh, um, the event that you guys did for the APPN. A uh, proud member of that, and, and you're doing fantastic work more now than ever. I think you've really it's been an organisation, and and you and others in in the uh, directorship of that that have really stepped up in recent times uh, at times where we all need you. And so thank you for that. And so I do encourage people to get in touch with you via there and to join if they haven't, if they're anywhere near advanced practice, or at least as I mentioned earlier the rationale and logic that applies to advanced practice should be transferable. And, and there's lots there uh, to, to go for. So yeah, I'm, pl- I'm pleased you mentioned that. I'd forgotten that. And uh, certainly the, uh, the resources that we've talked about will be linked to in the show notes, including all full text PDFs that we can get our hands on. So thanks again for your time and we'll no speak worries. again soon. Okay. Thanks Jack. that was michelle angus uh, many thanks to michelle for coming on the show absolutely brilliant to, to get some of her time i think it's something we've probably undercovered only when we got stuck in like that did i realize that we often talk about back pain in the sort of recalcitrant or uh, persistent pain cases and often these patients that might have a first episode or present with an acute low back pain episode, they're the ones that need to be managed well in order to stop that sequelae that we've sort of talked about at length. And so it was great to get stuck into that and understanding that context specificity around the circumstances of which we see them and how that might influence care. Really keen as ever to hear your thoughts. It's a contentious area, particularly when we got stuck into sort of what, you know, what is it about the system that is feasible for us to be able to deliver as care, uh, especially when it came to the sort of non-pharmaceutical side of the conversation, as well as what the role is for just pain relieving modalities generally. And if given the right context, can they have a place? You know, it's fascinating. And I, and I think something that I really am keen to get your thoughts on. And we have the opportunity for uh, anyone that's got any particular feedback or wants to challenge anything to join us on Chewing It Over on the weekdays at 12.30. Now, Adam Dobson did that recently. Fantastic that he came up with some uh, really sensible critique of the last podcast. And so he joined me to chat through that on Chewing It Over uh, a few days later. So anyone that's got any things that they'd like to share in whatever format they can do so and please get in touch with us across social media.
All right, thanks a lot. And uh, all that's all that's left to do, and I think because we forgot to uh, to to get Michelle to do the cheesy sign out, that falls to me once more. Because you've been listening to the Physio Matters podcast, discussing physio matters because physio matters. Bye for now. Thank you.